This is a podcast from Rover. All the way from goddamn Memphis, Tennessee. Robbie from Blood Origins, buddy. How are? I am better than I deserve is the way that I like to couch that question. So uh, I am better than I deserve, Jay. Thanks for having me on, my man. Hey, no, thank you so much for uh, for giving us the time. I don't even know what time it is over there. I don't even know what the weather's doing over there because uh, the world's basically turned itself upside down currently in New Zealand. We're being flooded out in the middle of summer. It's a, a bit of a cacophony of madness. But um, I guess just to put a bit, of con- uh, a bit of context in and around how we sort of got linked up, uh, Young Buck, who does some incredible work in and around the, the hunting scene here and and across the globe as well, Cam linked us up and was like, you've got to have a chat to Robbie. He's just got a great outlook on it, and it's, yep. and it's probably a, a voice of reason for a lot of people that have been urbanized and don't understand the importance of uh, not only a pastime, but a pursuit that we need to carry on with. So to take it all the way back, how did Blood Origins come about, and what actually is it? Yeah, so Blood Origins is super simple, man. We have, uh, as a hunting industry, have completely forgotten about our heart. We've completely forgotten about the why behind what we do. And we have a PR problem, Jay. And the reason we have a PR problem is because the last 20, 30 years, we have not even bothered to showcase the impacts, the benefits, the consequences of this action that we love so much. So no wonder the freaking non-hunting majority thinks we're just a bunch of killers. So those people that don't understand what that is, because if you don't own a gun and there's a large number of people in New Zealand that don't own a New Zealand firearms license and don't own a firearm at all, and on top of that have never been hunting, don't know anyone that goes hunting, picks their food up in plastic packages from the supermarket, what is it that they are missing that you think? They're missing tradition. They're missing adventure. They're missing connecting to this sort of depending if you're religious or not, connecting to a broader creator. If you're not religious, then you may be connecting more to Gaia herself, Mother Nature herself. People think that we are, quote-unquote, a part of nature. We are not just merely an observer of what's happening around us. We are an active participant in that. Humans have this indelible fingerprint on the earth that we now, as humans, are the stewards of those fingerprints. And we as hunters, again, the story that we have forgotten to tell is that we're probably the best stewards of wildlife, of conservation, of habitat, and of people, of people that are connected to this world. For instance, uh, you know, we're going to get into this a little bit, but did you know that the Fjordland Wapiti Foundation delivered over 18,000 kilograms of mince meat in 2020 at the, during COVID in New Zealand? And where did that food go when the, the food chain shortages were hitting sort of epic proportions? It was hitting the food banks. It was hitting uh, soup kitchens. The lowest of the low people in New Zealand were being taken care of because of hunters. Did you know that the median price of minced meat in 2020 in New Zealand was $16.39? So that equates to over $240,000 New Zealand dollars worth of meat that were pushed back into the New Zealand system because of hunters and hunting. Do you think, because you've been, you've travelled, obviously people will pick up on that accent. You now call uh, the United States home, uh, but you have been from South Africa. Have you been to a country that you think has had this absolutely dialed in? Because from what we see here in New Zealand, uh, 
The Field and Wapiti Foundation, as an example, great. What they do is great. Amazing, amazing work. But that's not something that gets carried on across the rest of the country necessarily. Um, the tag system that you've got in the state seems to be one that people are advocating for here because it shows that you actually have a true account of the numbers that are there and then you can use proper conservation measures to make sure that those populations have enough feed, that the breeding stock gets to be at its best and that you're not just marginalising wild animals. Yeah, there's there's great examples of specifically that Fjord and Wapiti Foundation piece that I just described all over the world. There's multiple Hunters for the Hungry program all across the US. And just look at Africa, not a scrap of meat is ever wasted in Africa when it comes to animals being hunted. The tag system in New Zealand, I can see it, but I can also not see it in that you guys have got a wonderful resource that's actually extremely abundant. A tag system is only necessary in a system where your your wildlife resource is, is very well managed and you're and you're gonna continue to manage it for a certain quality of animal. So the Fjordland Wapiti Foundation again is a phenomenal example of them being in a position to have arrested the control of the deer herd away from dock, essentially, to say, okay, we're gonna manage the animals, we're gonna knock down the numbers that we need to knock down, but at the same time, we're gonna create a tag draw system to maintain the quality of the animals that are on the landscape. Uh, how does the tag system work in America? Do you pay for the tags or is it just a straight ballot or do you? It, it really depends. So there's going to be certain places like Arizona. Let's talk about the cream of the crop, okay? There's a place in Arizona called the Strip and it is the mecca of mule deer hunting in America. It'll take you 25 years to 28 years to draw that tag. Wow. Because of the preference points needed. This is how, let me give you how crazy it is to, to mule deer hunt in Arizona. Two weeks ago, the governor's tag, the governor's mule deer tag for the state of Arizona went on auction. It means you can hunt wherever you want and whenever you want in 365 days of the calendar year. The tag sold for $725. <laughs> thousand dollars holy hecka see and that's and when you say because uh, obviously everyone says um well that just yeah, that means you're hunting with your wallet and these high fence uh game parks that people can hunt in and it's the same thing and you could probably shed a little bit more light on how things uh happen particularly in africa uh and in south africa is these game parks and i know that people don't like to see uh, the likes of, uh, you know, giraffe getting taken out of the population and lions and, um, you know, people don't mind if a wildebeest gets smoked or a zebra maybe starts to get on people's noses. <laughs> you take a giraffe out and people have some issues with it. But those people that are paying for those hunts are the ones that are funding the lives of every other animal in those places. Every single cent of that $725,000 went back to mule deer conservation in the state of Arizona. So f- tell me, show me another activity that generates that amount of money for that, for that specific species conservation. Number two, and I'll couch this more broadly, regardless of giraffes, elephants, lions, rhinos, whatever, take hunting away. So all these people that hate, hate, hate hunting. Okay, let's just, for example, say I get it and I understand, but do you know what will happen if hunting gets taken away? What, it, what will happen is that the value of that animal, the value of the giraffe, the value of the lion, 
it's gone. Are you going to keep an economic asset around if it's not making you any money? So we could say here in New Zealand, we have, um, I think we have the white-tailed deer, which is introduced. That's predominantly in, in Stewart Island. We've got seeker. We've got red deer. We've got wapiti, which is kind of the, the mix. Um, probably another two or three. Red deer uh, elk. Yeah, we've kind of yeah we've got a few of those um, fallow deer, and then on top of that we've got chamois and we've got tar, and all of those are introduced species, every single one of them. And for our pristine little island in the bottom of the planet, when those sort of animals turn up, they just absolutely ravage it. And there's a couple of daisies that have never been tramped to by by the conservationists that want to see those things on the top of a mountain, which they will never visit and know that they're possibly there. So why shouldn't we heli shoot? Um, all of these animals and just completely eradicate them because they were never here to begin with. So why keep them here in the first place? They don't deserve a place in New Zealand. What about pigs? What about sheep? Don't you have a couple of sheep in New Zealand? About one or two. I think we've got 20 million. <laughs> yeah, so let's be cows, honest. Cows, yeah, let's be honest. domestic cats, dogs. Yeah, so, you know, it, it's, an, it's, a, it's actually a sort of an, an, an illogical argument, especially in the tar. When we... When we first sort of put a foot down in New Zealand, the tar issue was what we got known for, is that we we sort of pushed back against the then minister um, that came out of Forest and Bird and said, your whole argument about tar destroying the high alpine communities is absolute bollocks, because how many tar do you really have? And there was, you know, plus or minus 19,000, plus or minus, sorry, 19,000, plus or minus, you know, six or 7,000. How many sheep are up in their high alpine? And do you think those tar are actually doing more damage than the grazing of the sheep? What about, you know, it's, it's, New Zealand's a young country. The tectonic forces of shaping the landscape is still happening. What about a massive, you know, earth slide that happened that takes out the entire one watershed of alpine, you know, terrain and, and, and habitat and vegetation? It's just, there's, there's certain narratives and there's certain rhetorics that are being pushed against the idea of management and wildlife conservation through hunting. And they just don't like the fact that we have to kill an animal to manage it. So I get it. Okay. I get it. So that um, I guess what you're saying, and, and you mentioned it briefly at the start as well, that the story that's been told for however many decades about hunting is potentially not the right one. So I guess when you look at hunting, it's like literally the oldest tradition. It's as old as man. Like, we're, and it's a process that um, you know we've been going, uh, it, we've been going out and doing since the dawn of time. What is the parts of hunting that you love that you would like to see a, a bigger lens put on? I, you know, I think what people need to see is the whole activity. I think that what we what we have tended tended to show is just that one action piece of us killing the animal of us showing the trophy of the animal and that's all we focused on we've never focused on the physicality of the hunt the adventure of the hunt the mentality the spirit of the hunt and then after the animals down the enjoyment of the food and giving the food to friends and family right how many times have you ever gone to the grocery store and bought 25 ribeyes and brought them home and then called up your buddies and say hey I have 25 ribeyes. Do you want one? It's for free. You've never seen that. You've never heard it. But the, uh, the animal that you've taken, the ounce of meat of that animal is probably quadruple or 10 times the cost of a ribeye. You're willing to give that away. 
You're willing to give it away for people to see why. Because it means so much to you. That that animal and the, the honor of the animal and the, the, the work that went into procuring that resource. It, those are the things that we've forgotten about. And then the thing that, you know, this is the thing that beyond beyond the hunt itself, it's the actions of who we are, right? So the Seeker Foundation, Eastern Fiolink, Fjord and Wapiti Foundation, we've just invested, uh, I think it's close to 85,000, 90,000 New Zealand dollars from Blood Origins into New Zealand to say, you guys are doing fucking amazing work. I don't know if I'm allowed to swear or not. Yeah, mate, go for fucking gold. Great, amazing work. (laughs) (laughs) Doing great, amazing work, taking out the weasels, the stoats, the rats, the cats to save your kiwis, save your fios, and managing deer populations. That's what you should be celebrating. That story should be all over the world. That's what we want to do at Blood Origins for you, for New Zealand, for those foundations, because that's what we could do. And we had a partner that came to us from Spain and said, do you have great conservation projects that we can get involved with? I said, I've got three big ones in New Zealand. They said, how much is it? I said, it's about 85,000, 90,000 New Zealand dollars. They said, let's do it. Oh, man. That's unreal. This is what the other thing I think has missed for the longest time and what you've done an incredible job of, and and full kudos to you, and I know that you run an incredibly skeleton crew when it comes to enabling and making all of this happen. Like a lot of this is tireless hours that you put into it. It's just you've just amalgamated a global community of people that are like-minded, regardless of whether you're in Greenland or at the bottom of the planet here in New Zealand, is that when you are into this, you are a hunter as a conservationist, but it's just under a different term. And I think that um, Gareth from Victory Knives, who you've probably had some dealing with dealings with as well, he calls it armed tramping because that's, <laughs> that's effectively what it is, that you're going out there in the hope, 100%. That, in the hope of, uh, of basically collecting some food and foraging just as somebody would scavenge through a pine forest and get them some, some mushrooms, whatever it is. You're going after a high price target that has a little bit more to a little bit more to it moves way quicker than a mushroom and at the end of it that is the that's the ultimate byproduct of being out and immersing yourself within nature uh, getting you know lit, sweating out some of the stress of whatever it is you do for a job whether you're a farmer or whether you're an office worker whether you're a bus driver or whatever it is that you do like all of these benefits are shared globally by everybody and like Duncan said mm-hmm. since the since we opened our eyes and saw a sun coming across the sky you are absolutely right you know we use the phrase hunting is conservation all the time duncan even mentioned it jay you even mentioned it our message is prove it how do we prove it constantly because words are words the antis have their words we have our words so how do we prove that hunting is conservation well we prove it by showing that we're putting money in the ground we show it by filming documentaries of the ethos of the Seeker Foundation and then putting it on the global stage, filming the ethos of, you know, Snow Houston with the Tar Foundation about why he likes to take people into the jagged alpine areas to show this beautiful mountain lion of a goat and why he cherishes it so much and he doesn't want it to see wiped out from the planet. That's who we are. That's who you are, Duncan J. You know, I know you guys... Jay, I think you've just come to being a hunter here recently, but it is it is our it is the it is the oldest pastime that we have on this planet. It's what created everyone. 
and you're only here because either one you had really good hunters in your ancestry line or number two you were a berry picker of a tribe that had really good hunters. <laughs> and probably good shaggers too. <laughs> <laughs> Loved a bit of sex. Bit of cave sex by the fire. Yeah. Yeah. While all those guys were out hunting, uh, Duncan's ancestors were just whistling around beside the fire, chipping away at all their wives. Just multiplying. <laughs> Well, it, it clearly was that Duncan's ancestors were pretty good hunters because, you know, unfortunately, the downside in the hunting industry is that there's a lot of like infighting and crap like that, unfortunately. But I see it as almost like this ancestral competition that's just born in our DNA and we can't get rid of it to Duncan's point about shagging all the women. It's that his ancestors probably brought the best freaking, you know, animal back to the fire. And, you know, Jay's ancestors were sitting there over there going, shit, I don't know, man. Like, I couldn't get something that big back to the fire. You want some berries? And, uh, his, yeah, his ancestors were like, oh, I get to pick tonight. Yeah. And Jay was like, damn it, I better get a better buck tomorrow. You know? Hey, Robbie, thank you so much for your time uh, and all that you do. Like you said, introducing close to $100,000 uh, from international funds yeah, to unreal. take care of all of the different bits and pieces that go uh, that we're trying to get. That's the Seeker Foundation, Fjordland Wapiti Foundation, the Eastern Fuel Link as well. Um, it's, it's a mammoth effort, and we really, really do appreciate it. Appreciate the time of you jumping on, and uh, we'll, we'll put up a bounce back where people can see all the work that you're doing, whether it be your Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or the, uh, the YouTube channel that you've got incredible guests on your podcast as well um and i uh, really look forward to if you uh, if you make it out here i'd say come out in the summertime but maybe come out in the winter when it's sunny because uh, <laughs> at the moment it's pissing with rain and everywhere's underwater legends thank you this is jay and dunk's podcast on the radio 2 from 3 to 7 weekdays